I'm Michelle Orman, and this is The Couture Podcast. Studio Ren was launched by husband and wife team Rahul and Roshni Javaris in 2018. While they define their approach to the materials with which they work as agnostic, the use of, say, acidized concrete and their fine jewelry collection isn't the only thing that sets Studio Ren apart. For this duo, the process is the purpose. While they have extensive knowledge of the diamond market, they look at their business as a design practice and one that challenges traditional perceptions of what's considered valuable. It was thrilling to sit down with Rahul to talk about this couple's journey, their belief that every project requires a leap of faith, and to learn about the diverse range of talent that they employ in the creation of their otherworldly designs. I'm so delighted to be sitting here with Rahul Javeri. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and talk to me. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Um, So I'm going to kick this off the way I do all of the podcasts. I just really want to talk to you about your childhood and, you know, what kind of a kid you were. I was a a quiet kid. I used to keep to myself quite a bit. Um, But my fondest memories are of converting my entire room into a studio. So it was more like a studio um, and I just kept to myself. Um, I used to paint, I used to write. And it's something that my parents didn't quite get, but I just, uh, it was my little haven, so to speak. Um, So yeah, I was always kind of creatively inclined. Um, I had few friends, but I was very, very close to them. Well, that's great. So you were like, it was, you were writing, painting, just doing like both visual and other creative pursuits? Yeah. So I used to write, I used to paint, I used to photograph as well. Um, Any kind, I I was really into films, alternative music. I was really interested in um, discovering or exploring things which were out of, um, out of the norm when it came to where I grew up in Bombay. And I think now things are a lot more accessible, but maybe 25 years ago, it, w- it was difficult to find those alternative um, outlets. But when you found them, you kind of cherish them a lot more. Yeah. So. Yeah, you had to find your people. You need to, You had to yeah. find your people. So, and then you, um, you and your your wife both studied at Carnegie Mellon. Um, so, in hindsight, I mean, just looking at your jewelry now, do you think there was any influence in being in the Steel City? So, so one of the beautiful things about going to university in the U.S. is, even though we were both business majors, um, I took a lot more away from all the creative courses that I ended up taking, like industrial design creative mm. writing, um, black and white photography, where I spent time in dark rooms. So it, it's that aspect of my education that had a much bigger impact on me, along with art students or drama students, uh, which just kind of form like a, a core group uh, that you were part of. So regardless of you guys were in that, or you both were in like the business side of things, but you would still be able to spend time with the your people ultimately the ones that you described yourself as as a child yes absolutely uh, and uh, and would, it, it's it's nice where roshni and uh, my relationship now is not too different than how it was at university where she used to pull off the, all the all-nighters and i used to be slacking off <laughs> <laughs> 
So the same dynamic. It's That's the same dynamic. <laughs> How exciting for her. <laughs> but no, probably in those all-nighters, she's able to get some peace and quiet and get some work done too. Yes. Yeah. And so then um, you moved back to India after college and you worked in your family's um, diamond company? Yeah. So after I graduated, I joined the family business. I learned how to cut and polish diamonds. Two years I was on the factory factory floor learning how to cut and polish diamonds or sort diamonds. And that's what I, I thought that's exact. That's what I was going to end up doing for the rest of my life. But it was around that time that I used to also design for friends and family. Mm. So it was that creative part of me from my youth that was I was channeling into jewelry design. And it was in 2018 when Roshni and I uh, decided that it's, it's something that we're really passionate about, that we should formalize it. And that's how the studio was born. Um, I, I feel that if you're creative, it, you kind of grab onto the closest available medium to express yourself mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we did but it, it's so in, i mean it's so interesting and it's not like it's um it's limited you you know i mean and your your um you know your design so and we'll we'll get to that a little bit more but that's um that's very interesting so there wasn't like one big watershed moment where you were like aha this is what we have to do it was sort of a gradual realization that you needed to be doing your own creative pursuit yes you, you we just kind of like fell into it or slid into it where it just felt like the natural progression so even but even the all the diamond cutting and polishing knowledge that is dictating a lot of things that we're doing where we're looking at materials we're looking at diamonds or rough diamonds and from that lens mm -hmm. so i think wherever you are at any given point of time it's the culmination of all the experiences that you've had in the past even things that you don't realize are going to have that impact on you till it actually does. It's always in hindsight that you realize that it is these moments, these things that are making you who you are. Yeah. Well, and I, I had read about um, that you and your wife had taken a, a trip to Lake Tanza in yes. 2019 and you found there was a found object. Is that sort of what you're talking about here or was that a, like a kind of an aha moment? Can you just tell me about the and I know you haven't told anyone what this organic matter was that you discovered, but if you want to share it here. <laughs> so uh, Ro Roshni and I, uh, we live in Bombay. It's, um, it's a metropolitan city, very crowded and congested. And I guess it's because of that we love spending time outdoors in nature. Mm -hmm. We love going on treks. And one of, one of the trips was around Lake Tansa. It's a, it's a lake outside uh, Mumbai. And it's on these treks that I found an object. It was... Or an organic object. I'm not going to reveal anything more because I think it needs to be kind of left to interpretation. And I picked it up and I'm, and there was a certain beauty to it that I wanted to capture, that I wanted, there was temporary beauty to it that I wanted to kind of make permanent. Mm. And that's when I took that object, I 3D scanned it and superimposed it and created a ring out of it, um, the Tansa ring. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I, we, gave, we assigned that object value by picking it up. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how the creative process for us is, where it is extremely fluid. It is very instinctive. Uh, there's a lot more behind the work. It's not necessary that if, like all those kind of all of that needs to be understood or communicated, but it's there for for collectors to kind to kind of connect with the work with over. Yeah, so it could just be a pretty object and something they like to wear, or they could get 
philosophical about it and and it can spark discussions well and let's talk about that process because it's it's my understanding that the process is what it's about for you and it's not necessarily this you know the end results and i want to have this piece of jewelry at the end it really is about that that process so can you take me through sort of a you know, sort of start to finish, um, you know, on a particular piece of jewelry. And we can, um, we could even start with the, um, the Strangler ring, which is a piece that you won at the Couture Design Awards in Best and in Innovative in 2021. And unfortunately, you weren't able to be there. But that ring, there was so much buzz about it. I have to tell you. And when I first got the picture, I was like, what the heck? And then seeing it in person, it was phenomenal. And I have to tell you, it was a hands down among the judges like yep this this is it like who who does this so if you could tell me like maybe from start to finish about that particular ring what that process is like so with the strangler ring we had no idea what we were going to do when we started i think that's the case with most of our work we were in touch with an architecture firm material and material studio and it was not towards any end it was just kind of a creative discussion that we're having and it's from that conversation that, you know, the idea of concrete as being impermanent came about. Concrete has a very finite lifespan, mm. 30 to 40 years. We make our cities on it. Like human civilizations built on concrete, but there's a temporary nature to it. But nonetheless, we kind of expect our cities to last forever. Yeah. But they're not going to. And it, it is from that mindset that the strangler ring was born. Um, the... The strangler is a specific kind of vine that is found in central India. There's certain times of the year where these vines kind of take over entire forests mm. and they strangle them. Ah. It's, there, it's a parasitic plant. And it's kind of the strangling, the idea behind it was the gold and diamond filaments, which are emerging from inside the concrete, taking over the concrete piece itself. Mm. It was one year of R&D to kind of figure out uh, figure out the technical aspects of how do we go about integrating these two uh, disparate materials. And it, it was once we realized it and got the edges and everything absolutely perfect that we decided to succumb the piece to atrophy and we mm. acid treated it. It was our way of kind of relinquishing our false sense of control. And so it is kind of this creative process that makes the ring what it is. Yes, visually it might be striking. Uh, there's a nice juxtaposition of something that's very important, like concrete and cheap, and mm. versus something that's essentially useless, like gold and diamonds, but valuable. And how those two materials can come together really beautifully. That's so. That's so interesting. And and you know, it's it's. Um, I've I've heard that you you take a material agnostic approach to your to your work, which is so interesting because you have that foundation of knowledge of, of diamonds, right? So um, it's not like you don't know how to work with diamonds. So you're going to work with, you know, other other materials. It's but you're combining the two. And that's so I'm going to be I'm going to be thinking about that, what you just said about the um, the juxtaposition between the concrete and being cheap, but but not valued and, you know, and but having great applications, but not being valuable, whereas, you know, gold not having the applications, but being considered extremely valuable. So with your studio, 
tell me about your studio and was it difficult for you to get artisans to get on the same page and to realize your vision? I mean, were they like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> so the, the studio, um, we named the studio Studio Ren because it's an entity on its own. Uh, we're, for, for the time being, because it's a young studio, Roshni and I are kind of the voice and the face of it, but mm -hmm. it's an independent entity that is comprised of, of the people that make it. It's all the goldsmiths, um, it's all the designers who form the foundation of, of who we are. Um, the goldsmiths are, are fantastic at what they do, but they do come from a very traditional practice. It took a lot of back and forth, um, a lot of stubbornness uh, to kind of get them to embrace the idea, simple ideas of like asymmetry or imperfection. But I guess once you have them on the dark side and they kind of become part <laughs> of the madness. Um, and, and it's the same with all the designers that uh, the, the designers who are part of the team, none of them have jewelry backgrounds. We have uh. watch designers, architects, civil engineers, art students who form the design team. So we're not approaching jewelry from, from a jewelry practice point of view, but rather a design practice. And we just happen to be making jewelry at this point of time. But how interesting having to marry those worlds. And now I'm going back to your college days, right? Where you're hanging out with all the creative types, but you also have the business, you know, the, the business people too, and just intermingling. But I just think these, vastly different creative um, perspectives coming together with this really traditional craft. And, you know, I'm just, I really want to talk to some of your, your goldsmiths. And <laughs> was it, was it a while to get them? You know, did you have to go through a number of people and find somebody that had the kind of open minds or was it just, you, it does, did, you, like you, need, said? you do need to go through a lot of people till you find someone who's willing, till you find people who are willing to be pushed and who are able to push you as well mm. and it, it ends up being certain works in which there's a lot of conflict that you either that either make or break the relationship so and I think because of that certain works also have a lot of significance for me uh, because I know that's some that's a work that I bonded over a goldsmith with or over a designer with mm. yeah and it's well and it's like you're saying the 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 found object has value because you've you've picked it up and it's a you know new life it gives it new it, like a a story it adds to the story so your kind of struggle maybe with a, a particular goldsmith and then you've gone to the other side like all of a sudden that piece then has that meaning to it as well as well as its original intention or the philosophy behind it i mean it's so it's so fascinating was it tough for you to get i mean you've gotten so much press you've done i mean really new york times vogue an article just came out this morning in vogue india congratulations on that um clearly there's a buzz around you um and you launched in 2018 and it's only 2023 but did you feel like it was tough getting people to really kind of understand and get on board um because also it's you know these aren't cheap pieces right i mean th these are investment pieces so um it's not like oh for a lark i'm gonna buy this um acidized cement concrete ring right and somebody really appreciates it so it, was it tough to get people to or were people like oh yeah definitely i'm i'm on board we followed our instincts roshni and i did what came to us naturally we created the works that we didn't overthink it 
we followed our instincts, we showed the, the, our work, and we had the conversations the way we wanted to. And, and, and that kind of, we, and over time we kind of created a tribe of collectors, of, um, of editors who kind of buy into what we're trying to, what we're attempting uh, to do. So I, I guess we just followed our gut and then like-minded people kind of end up finding each other. Um, India is tends to be slightly more conservative when it comes to jewelry, um, uh, to ac acquiring jewelry. But it, it was a nece it was necessary to have those kind of conversations where this is also jewelry. There's another way of looking mm. at it as well. But it's a very established market. So it it was kind of easy to a certain extent to kind of break through to people who are willing to be broken through to. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, you had some like low-hanging fruit of people that were wanting to to see things in a different way and to to shift their perspective on adornment and what what that means because there is such rich tradition in India. I mean, and it's um I mean, there's a reason it's been celebrated for centuries, right? I mean, these these traditions. So, um to go so far afield, but you know, I love the authenticity part, though, too, and the fact that the two of you are just like, nope, we're we're doing this, and we feel like this is this is right, and we're going to keep keep at it. I mean, that's that's awesome. So, um, tell me a little bit more about um, working with your wife and what it what's that like? I mean, I know it's not constantly with her pulling all nighters and you, you know. <laughs> and like, do you have any tips for other people? Because that's one of the things I find so fascinating about the jewelry industry is it is so, or at least this this part of the, the industry, there are a lot of husband, wives or brother, sister teams. And so what, what do you have some tips for working with your spouse or, you know, a close family member? Have, uh, so it's, Roshni is not here to disagree with me, <laughs> but I love working with her. We do there are crazy times where, of course, we're going at it, go, challenging each other, but that's necessary. I mean, do you feel like you're like balance each other, or yeah? So we complement each other, we balance each other, but we appreciate and understand each other's points of view because I think it's it's a really good partnership because we were we knew each other from our most formative years, mm -hmm. so we know where we each other are coming from. And I think that what's, that's what makes it a beautiful partnership, not only in business, but also in life. One of the things is that after a point, especially because Studio Rent's a young studio, it kind of takes over your entire life. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that we bond over, but that's, that, tends to be that, that tends to be something that we're constantly discussing. So one of the advices I would give is to be able to compartmentalize that once you're home or after a certain point of time, no discussing work. Um, it's very difficult to do that. It's very difficult because when you're passionate about what you do, that's, that's all you're thinking about. That's all you want to discuss. But I think it's important to compartmentalize. Yeah, I was going to say, what will you talk about then if you're not? <laughs> and it sounds from what what you're telling me and what I know from afar, it's it's not like you're talking about um, the more traditional things that one might talk about with respect to running a jewelry 
company, right? I mean, you have a you have a design firm essentially. You have this creative design firm that is you know happens to produce jewelry and things that people wear. So, um, do you talk about art? I mean, do you like are you still are you influenced mostly by contemporary art at this point? So we are influenced a lot by contemporary art and design because I look at contemp anything contemporary as something that you're reacting to the now, but you're creating for the future. Mm. So Roshan and I, when we travel, we spend a lot of time in museums. Even in India, we spend a lot of times in museums and art galleries, kind of seeing where those contemporary works came from so that and kind of envisioning where it might be going. We spend a lot of time in artist studios with art collectors, with gallerists. And I think it's it's absorbing all of that that kind of feeds back into our practice. And 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 a very exciting part of doing all this is we have a 10 year old daughter, Ruhi, and she's witnessing all of this. We're not she's she's there. She's absorbing everything that we are doing and I can see how it's influencing her. So it makes what we do a lot more meaningful because mm. I feel like it's those influences that are going to be the most meaningful inheritance for her. Absolutely, absolutely. And and is it um, visual art that you stick to? Or are you also? I mean, I just feel like I, I imagine you all talking philosophy and um, literature as well. But are you mainly? It's mainly visual. It's more visual. It's more visual. It's it's more visual visual arts. I, I think I'm a more visual person than and and it's it's the conversations from it that uh, get verbalized. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and so is your daughter? Do you feel like is she creative as well? She is. She is extremely creative. So when she wants to turn her bedroom into a studio. Oh, I'm, I'm already like, encouraging her. I'm like, yeah, you better be doing this. <laughs> Not like your parents. Like, that's kind of weird. You're like, yep, you're doing this. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. So, and you had you had mentioned previously that your your studio is in an industrial part of town. So was that by design? Pardon the pun. So, <laughs> so the studio is about an hour, hour and a half drive from where wow. I live. Um, it's in the northern part of Bombay. And it's 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 an area that's in flux. It's 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 on it's where the national park. Uh, it's the largest national park in the world. That's in a city itself. Burivli National Park meets the city, ah. and that's exactly where the studio is. So it's an area that's con where those borders are always in flux. And it's also it used to be an industrial area that now is becoming more and more residential. Mm. So the studio is in an industrial estate, which I know five or 10 years from now is going to be demolished and going to give way to high rises. Wow. So it, it's, I kind of picked that location because one, it was easy for the rest of the team to commute to. So it's better if one person uh, takes the time to go there and every, it's convenient for everyone else. But more importantly, it was an area in flux. It's mm -hmm. a part of the city that's in constant change. And there's a certain beauty to it. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's it's interesting because I've I've also read that some of your core tenets are this concept of permanence and atrophy, and so you know to to find an area that is in in flux and and see the beauty in that, like I don't know, just lean into that while you can, but knowing that it's going to shift in the in the future. 
And and so speaking of the future, do you have visions for where you want to go in the future? Or are you just going to continue to, you know, for the time being, just keep on this path of authenticity and continue the output? So when we started the studio, we we had no idea where it was headed. And I think there's a beauty to that that sense of exploration where I don't want to know where we're going to be six months from now. And kind of just going with the flow and not knowing where we might be, what we might be doing. But we, but we do know that we're going to con- hope that we're going to keep true to our vision and continue doing what comes to us instinctively. Which is is going to change, right? The, the instincts are going to change, right? Because you're humans and you're growing and evolving and and clearly open to receiving what's what's out there. So that's that's going to change. Well, it'll be very interesting to see the the progression. You know, knowing that it's such an authentic um, authentic expression of of your experiences and your you know your worldview. So that's that's awesome. I'm really yeah. There's a, a lot of a you know kind of key phrases that really you know the beauty and the imperfections and um, this concept of a leap of faith every time you do a, you know create a piece of a piece. Can you tell me explain that a little bit more? I love the concept of a leap of faith. I apply it to all areas of life. It's going in not knowing what's going to happen, but uh, believing in the process and understanding that something's going to take you where exactly where you need to be. And that's not only true with design, but it's true with life as well, that the the most meaningful things that you do are, in my opinion, are born out of that leap of faith, where even the the act of, you know, starting the studio was a leap of faith. And every time a work is collected, it's that collector is having, is taking a leap of faith when Mm. they're acquiring it. So we're really grateful for that, that whole idea where no, it's it makes it makes it all the more meaningful when you take a leap of faith and it's realized. But yeah. and if if it's not, it it doesn't feel disappointing because you took a leap of faith. That's the whole point. Yeah, and I, I've heard it. You know, I'm thinking of a, a college course that I took once where they were, we were talking about this concept, and the professor was like, "Well, what is faith but belief in the ridiculous?" And that's you know that's <laughs> the truth. It's like I'm gonna make this piece that I cast off of organic matter that I found on a walk and it's going to become a beautiful ring that someone is going to purchase. Like, that's ridiculous. But that's, but it's taking a leap to, you know, to get there. And um, that's what's required, I think, of, like you said, a lot of moments in life, you know, it's that belief in the ridiculous. <laughs> that's my professor. Not, <laughs> it does seem to make, it makes a lot of sense, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know that this will apply to you because um, of the the process of of your your creativity and your creative approach. But I do like to ask people because we always joke that there's no such thing as a jewelry emergency. <laughs> but we all know there are jewelry emergencies. There are so jewelry can emergencies. You think of a jewelry emergency. No, we've had a few jewelry emergencies that we've struggled with, but delivered nonetheless. Uh, and it's through these jewelry emergencies that you end up bonding a lot more. So one of one of that co- that comes to mind was actually around the strangler ring, where there's a prominent photographer in India who wanted to acquire the strangler ring as a proposal ring for his fiance. 
How? Um, his rationale was all the other jewelry, she's going to decide what she wants, but I want to give her that one thing that I want to give her that is absolutely me. So we connected and I don't know why he kept it off to the last minute, but she he was like, I needed it yesterday. <laughs> so we had a strangler ring uh, in, uh, in with us at that point of time. And rubies were of a lot of significance to him. So he wanted to embed rubies inside the ring. And uh, my first instinct was, that sound, I mean, I'd never th thought about that. It sounded ridiculous, but I figured it out. I sprinkled, sprinkled a few rubies around. It had a lot of significance as well. His name uh, means lotus, and he wanted the ruby to kind of signify lotuses. Romantic, so dude. It's, it's I like it. Extremely romantic. So, And lotuses usually grow in the murkiest of waters, and that's how he was envisioning the stranglering, the concrete surface. Mm. So I figured out a way of embedding uh, rubies on their concrete surface, and we delivered the piece on time. And it's a piece that I th that they connected over, and we connected with them over. So um, that yeah, I, and up until then, I had no idea what a proposal ring was. So there was a lot of learning from from that experience. Yeah, well, it's a proposal ring. Is it different than an engagement ring? Yes, it's it's okay. the ring that you propose with, and then the engagement ring is the most serious quote unquote ring that. Ah. The couple purchased together. I have never heard of a proposal ring. When you said proposal ring, I assumed an engagement ring, but very cool. But proposal rings tend to be a lot more personal and a lot more meaningful. From yeah, because the engagement ring, you have to you have to factor in practicality, right? Like it's like you, you want it to be a diamond or you know some other center stone, um, and you're thinking like, oh, she does a lot of gardening, so we're going to do a bezel set. Like it's all these practical considerations, and a lot of the romance kind of goes out the window with that. So, a proposal ring, and then I guess the person would wear it just whenever. It's not like your engagement ring or your wedding band that you feel like you have to wear all the time. You wear it uh, whenever, but I every time I have seen. Uh, the person who uh, who the ring was given to, she's had it on. So I think she's wearing it quite often, yeah. which, which which is nice. <laughs> which is it nice must be know. nice to see your your babies out in the wilds and like in real life, like out there being worn. Yeah, it, it, I think jewelry is meant to be worn. It, it, sh it they should live and breathe, um, not be just put away. Yeah, saved for special occasions. Yeah. I mean, what's not special about this day? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, this has been lovely talking to you. Do you feel like there's anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to chat about? No, I did want to show. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. It's That's the... That's a strangler that won the Couture Award. This is the Award. original yeah. strangler. And it's the last edition. It's the one that we're not letting go of. It's not for sale. It's not for sale. <laughs> it's so fabulous. Um, thank you for bringing in the, uh, the visual aid. It's lovely. <laughs> Well, and thank you so much for taking the time to come and sit down with me. I'm I'm so happy to have the time together, and I can't wait to see what you're going to be showcasing at Couture in Las Vegas. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was this was fun. Not too not too torturous, right? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Couture Podcast. If you like what you've heard, 
Please subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.